Well, as we continue on in our gathering this morning, uh, we are in Easter tide, right? We are in Corona time, but the grander picture is Easter. It is an Easter season. It's not just a day on the calendar. It is these many weeks after uh, Easter, the event, and then leading into uh, Ascension and Pentecost, which are coming up in just a couple of short weeks. Um, as, we, as we come together on Mother's Day, I think there's always this assumption that we're only going to talk about moms. Um, and today, providentially, uh, we thought it best to uh, remind us of our mission as a church. And that is, we are, we are here to exist to invite all people to follow Jesus in all of life. That means our finances that we talked about last week. That means our generosity with what's in our heart. <clears throat> that also means um, what goes on with our marriages. And so before we could ever talk about parenting, right, we first need to talk about what happens in our marriage. And right now we're under stress. I don't know what your time, what your marriage has been like underneath uh, the oppression of coronavirus, of corona time. But whatever it's been, I will plead with you to understand this, whether it's been great or whether it's been terrible or whether it's been somewhere in between like most of us. Um, whatever our experience is today is likely the fruit of whatever we laid into the ground, whatever our habits uh, produced from months ago. In other words, we're, we're really just kind of yielding the fruit of whatever we put into the ground, right? Just a few weeks ago, uh, a few months ago, whatever it may have been. And so our marriages are truly um, just a representative of, of our habits that we had just several weeks before this. But even our healthiest habits, even those that are like die hard date night every week, um, whatever it may have been, even the healthiest habits are having a hard time standing up underneath the pressure of corona time. Um, we've got the pressure of corona time, we've got the pressure of normal life, and then add on to that this anxiety about staying healthy, whatever that looks like during this time. This added pressure and anxiety of our kids not ever giving us free space, of, of working from home, of homeschooling your children, which some of us made the distinct decision not to do that, but we're doing it, right? So there's just all sorts of pressures and, and, and decisions that have been made for us. And we're just, we're a little bit more stressed, or dare I say, a lot more stressed than normal. And so even the, the, the healthiest habits of weeks ago will fold or could fold underneath the pressures that we're all enduring. And so I'll just say this, and if that's you, if you, if you feel like there are, there's so much pressure in your marriage, um, man, you're not alone. Um, I made reference of this in my email this weekend that Jerry Seinfeld has a new, uh, a new special on Netflix. And one of the things he says is like, marriage is basically nothing more than this. Marriage is two people living together and trying really hard not to say, I hate you, which I think is hilarious. And at the same time, a little sad. Uh, but the reason why it's both sad and funny is because that's our experience, isn't it? I mean, at one point or another, we just like, oh. Uh, but man, like this time pressurizes us even more. And I just want to tell you, you are not alone. Whether you are single or whether you are married, you are not alone in these pressures uh, that we're in. Um, give yourself some grace. Be kind to yourself in failure and preach the gospel to yourself daily, if not minute by minute, if we need it, that again and again, my life, my mood, my identity is not based on my performance as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, 
as a worker. It is not based on those things, but instead based upon the performance of Jesus, right? But what kind of marriage, and I'm compelled to ask you this, what kind of marriage do you want on the other side of Corona? On the other side of whatever new normal gets established, what kind of marriage do you want? Because if what we did months ago laid the foundation for our current experience, then what we're doing now will lay the foundation for our future experience. And I would just ask, like, as you look to what you want, may I encourage you? May I, may I encourage you to go to the scriptures as difficult and as foreign as they may be? Because there we will find what it looks like to have a courageous marriage. And you think to yourself, okay, great, yeah, courageous marriage. That's just, that's just in, in keeping with this Eastertide thing of, of take courage. And it is. But let me tell you, man, like if, if, if you want to live a, a godly Christian marriage, um, it's going to take a lot of courage. It takes a lot of boldness, a lot of trust, and a lot of faith to do the things that God's calling all of us to do in this passage today, because Ephesians 5 breaks it down for us in simplistic terms and makes it really easy for us to understand what God expects of us, both as moms and as dads, but also as wives and as husbands. Why is that? Why does it take such courage? Because this relationship mirrors God's love for the church. And that shouldn't bring pressure on us. That should bring great freedom for us because if we ever get lost on how to love our wife, on how to respect our husband, all we need to do is go to the scriptures and realize how has God then loved me? So today, what I wanna do is a little bit different. I wanna, I wanna use the scriptures as this broad base to help us understand in a courageous marriage that there are five dangers and five corresponding delights that come along with what it looks like to live a godly marriage. And, and, and here's the deal. Like my temptation right now is to tell you, oh, these are things that I've, I've walked through with, with other couples in counseling. But I'm going to be, be really honest with you this morning. This is a lot of what we have dealt with and we continue to deal with in almost 17 years of marriage between Melissa and I. These are the dangers that we have fallen into again and again, so I don't want you to think that just because I'm standing before you on the authority of God's word, that we've got some flawless experience or some dream marriage, although I count it as a dream. Um, I don't want you to, to paint this picture that's unrealistic of those that lead you or that labor next to you. Instead, I just wanna share with you, like these are things that we deal with still consistently. And they are things that we all deal with. So let's look at this and let's understand kind of where we're headed today. Um, danger number one, if you'll follow along with me, and it's this, that we would dismiss the Bible as irrelevant. Did you notice how we started Mother's Day with the scripture reading? Wives, submit. Happy Mother's Day to you all. We're so glad that you're here. Those are our first words for you today. Wives, submit. Um, but look, that's the danger, right, is that, we, is that we would dismiss that as irrelevant, as ancient scripture that we don't need to really deal with in these times. I can tell you that this is one of the things that I got to get past in marriage counseling. Um, but the delight is this. It shouldn't be some, some irrelevant thing. Instead, the delight is that the Bible is relevant, bringing clarity and freedom in every age. I did a wedding recently in the last couple of years where um, I stood before the bride and the groom, and I remember using the word submit. 
and the entire uh, bridal party gasped. And I thought to myself, uh-oh, we can't move on from this. We've got to just sit for a little bit and understand that this is a beautiful truth and a beautiful command that God wants for all believers, not just wives. Just before Ephesians 5.22 is 5.21. And what does it say just one verse before all this? We can't take it out of context. Instead, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How then shall we submit? How then shall we love uh, one another as the Lord has loved us? Wives, submit to your own husband. Um, you know, we have a problem with submission. We don't have a problem with love. And that's kind of interesting to me that we've, we've, we've kind of brought up the issue on submission, but never about love. When love, this is what we'll unpack for the male or the, 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 the husband, love is, is absolute sacrifice for the benefit of another. That's way harder than submitting ourselves to another person, though I am not a wife, and so what do I know about that? Instead, though, I am a husband, and I am, I am called to submit myself unto the Lord, because that's what the scriptures call for us. When we talk about submission, ironically, the first thing that happens is rebellion. There's a rebellion in our hearts against God's design for marriage and God's design for a wife in marriage. But this word, although it is a culturally bad word, should be a word of life and freedom for us, because that is what God's commands are. This word means, uh, it's, it's hupotasso, which literally means to voluntary place yourself underneath another. Voluntary, <laughs> voluntarily place yourself underneath another. I recently heard it uh, said like this. If you broke down the English word, it was to sub, like put underneath another's mission. So to put yourself underneath another's mission. Um, and that other's mission is, is the husband's mission. And what is the husband's mission? It is yet to love the wife like Christ loved the church. All women, though, do, do not submit to all men. And all uh, wives do not submit to all husbands. Instead, there is great freedom in knowing that the call for a wife is to submit to her own husband. And it says here in all things, but this is not, again, just a call for only women, but a call for all Christians to live a life of submission to the Lord. Richard Foster says this about submission. He says, submission is a life in which we give up the everlasting burden of always needing to get our way. And perhaps that's why it's a little bit difficult for all of us. That's perhaps why it's a little bit difficult for our wives to, to, to submit themselves to their husband because they think it unfair. They think it unfair that why do I have to give up my way so that you get your way? But you see, if the man is doing this right, if the husband is doing this right, he gave up his way a long time ago when he decided to enter into a union where his purpose was to love his wife like Christ loved the church. So wives, your submission to Jesus is reflected in how you submit to your husband. If you have areas that have not been submitted to Jesus, it is guaranteed they are going to come out as rebellion against your husband. It's guaranteed. But see, I don't want to get stuck on just submission as being the culturally irrelevant word because the same could be said of men and their role in marriage that they are called to lead and to love their wife. 
You know, the number one complaint that I receive, that our elders receive from wives against their husbands, and I'm not just talking about the Grove, I'm talking about throughout all of ministry, you know, the number one complaint that I hear, my husband chooses not to lead me. Not that he can't. They all believe that he can. That's why they married you. But they choose not to. You see, that's, that's not the call of a man. That's not the call of a husband. This is just, it's, it's not this. This is what we've chalked up uh, male leadership in the home to come in and be the disciplinary after a long day of work where we basically think our main priority is to provide whatever our family needs financially, providentially in that way. And then we come home and get to kind of kick up our feet and then just rest. And that is not the way that God has called us to live as men leading and loving our wives like Christ loved the church. So the good news is this, men. The good news is this, husbands, is that, man, there is a better thing that your family needs than what you provide for them. And it's your presence. It's being with them. And that's what they need the most. They need a presence in the home that, that represents Jesus's presence in the home. So I'd ask you this, and after each danger, I'm just going to ask you a question to kick around. Maybe not on Mother's Day, but maybe on Mother's Day. Who knows, right? What have you explained or what have you explained away in your marriage as irrelevant? Is it submission? Is it loving like Jesus loved the church? What is it that you've looked at in your marriage that you could honestly say, and maybe you don't ask the question of the other person. Maybe you go as a husband or as a wife to your spouse and you say, man, I have counted leadership as irrelevant. I don't really know how to do it. And so I've just kind of kicked it down the road. Um, and I want to stop that today. That's my, that's my Mother's Day gift to you. I want to stop that today. And I want to learn how to lead you and the kids well. I can guarantee you that would make your wife's Mother's Day, not to mention their life. Danger number two. Danger number one, right? Dismissing the Bible as irrelevant. These are the main dangers that I see in our marriage, mine, and also in our marriages collectively. Number one, we dismiss the Bible as irrelevant. Number two, we look for our spouse or we expect our spouse to meet our needs. That's the danger. The corresponding del del delight is this. Your needs have already been met in Jesus. Your needs have already been met in Jesus. But there are two major needs that every human has emotionally. One is security. Security can be understood as this, like an acceptance. It's an awareness that you are unconditionally and completely loved and accepted without the need to change and without the need um, to earn or keep that acceptance. An awareness that you are unconditionally, unconditionally and completely accepted. That's what brings us security. Every male and every female needs that in life. Unconditional acceptance creates absolute security. Well, of course, we can't get that from our husband or our wife. Instead, Jesus has come to give that to us. That's need number one. The other need is not just security, but significance. That somehow what we bring to the table in life is going to make a lasting, eternal impact. That we are competent, that we are equipped, that we are adequate enough to make an impact in another's life, through love, through living, through leading, whatever it may be, we have a significance in this life. Security, this unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, 
and significance, the knowledge that we are important, the knowledge that our life matters, right? And that we are capable of making an eternal impact. If you look to your spouse to meet those needs, that is a recipe for disaster. That is a recipe for disappointment. And I'll tell you, it will lead to bitterness. Why? Why will that lead to bitterness? Because our spouses were never designed to meet those needs. They're a sinner just like we are. And instead, Jesus has come to fill those needs, to bring us unconditional love and acceptance, to tell us that you matter in this world. You matter so much that I'm going to put you on the greatest mission there ever was. And that is to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And that starts with one another, husbands and wives, and then it flows out into our kids and into our neighborhoods, networks, and the nations, right? That's the mission that God's called all of us to. But we can get ourselves in trouble if we look to meet those needs with one another. But instead, everything that God is calling you to do, God has already done in Jesus. If you looked at the language in Ephesians 5, what you would see is that as Christ is the head of the church, as Christ has loved the church. He is the standard. And he's the one that's already done these things to fill our needs. And so your submission and your love for your spouse can only happen. Listen now, it can only happen as you look to Jesus first, first, and then you will be freed up to love the way Jesus loves, to submit to your husband as, as, as the church submits to God. Right? That's the only way that we're going to be able to do that is if we first get our needs met vertically and then we can pour ourselves out horizontally for the benefit of the other without, without loving in a way that expects something in return, without scorekeeping, without thinking to yourself at the end of a long week, man, like, I loved her well this week and I submitted all these things this week and I don't want to do that and this is the way they're treating me. No, without all that, the way that we get away from that trap is by understanding our needs are met first in Christ. So a question as the, at the end of this, right? How does that kind of love change your love for your spouse? Brothers and sisters, delight in the gospel that God has found you so significant. He has found you so worthy that he has died for you. And that love is so strong that your acceptance and security is not based on your faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of of Jesus. And upon hearing that, how then can we love freely? How then can we submit to our husband as the church submits to Jesus? Danger number three. The danger number three is that we compare our spouse's love to another. We compare our spouse's love to another. Your spouse doesn't need to love you and is probably not called or equipped to love you like your friends love you like your coworkers appreciate you, um, or how you perceive um, that other people love one another. See, those are the dangers that we have. And instead, the standard is in 28, verse 28. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives. In what way? In the same way that Jesus has loved us. That the way that he has done it, he is the standard. And so you may say to yourself, well, no one loves like Jesus. How is that helpful? If I'm supposed to love like Jesus and yet no one loves like him, that sounds like bad news. But instead, it is good news. Why? Because when we can fix our eyes on the kind of love with which Jesus has loved us, 
No one, no one can stand as a scorekeeper or a record keeper against another. Instead, we are all broken and we are all brought into humility and dependent upon God's grace for us. So when we start to compare our love for the other, in other words, we, we can go like, okay, well, you haven't loved me well, and so I'm not going to do X. We start to compare, oh, I have loved you well, and that person over there loves that person well, and I want to be loved like that. Whether you read about it, or you watched it, or you see it in your neighborhood group, or across the aisle, or wherever it may be, there is danger in comparing what we have, what God has given us, with what God gave someone else. That's a huge danger that I see over and over and over again. But if our standard of love is Jesus, then everything changes. Your spouse may not love you like you love them. Like they may always not just pay attention the way that you pay attention. But do you love your spouse the way that Jesus has loved you? You see, when we compare our spouse's love to what we perceive in ourselves as being really good or faithful, as what we perceive in others' marriages, we will rob ourselves of the contentment and creativity to build a strong marriage on godly principles. Our thoughts will start to drift into wondering what others' marriages are like. And, and we'll start to creating a reality that does not exist. We'll start to lust and covet what isn't real. And a loving marriage cannot exist in that environment. You see, when we delight in how Jesus has loved us, it humbles us and it produces gratitude in our hearts. And it displaces any bitterness that we may have against our spouse. Our spouse. When bitterness disappears, gratitude flourishes in our hearts. The two cannot coexist, bitterness and gratitude. Instead, when we look to Jesus, when we see his, his perfect love for us, and that being the standard, then we are free then to give that love to another. So the question after danger number three, how are you expecting your spouse to be like someone else instead of like Jesus? How are you expecting them um, to be someone that they're not, they're not really created or equipped to be? And instead, you're comparing them to an image in your mind other than Jesus. How are you doing that? Danger number four as we move forward, right? We've had the first three and now number four, treating your marriage like a contract and not a covenant. This is something that I put on repeat again and again as I sit down uh, with, with married couples. It, whether before marriage or years afterward, um, there is this constant temptation to kind of always throw the if word. The if word looks like this, right? I'll love you if you do this. I'll be faithful if you fa stay faithful to me. You see, but the delight in all this, the dangers that we treat like a contract, but the delight in all this is that contracts are self-centered and self-serving. But the beautiful thing is that, that covenant is other serving. So when I sit with a married couple in their middle of some sort of contract negotiation, I can, I can usually hear like, I will forgive you if you promise to not do it again. That's a contract negotiation. That's the same thing that we do with Verizon or AT&T or Comcast. It's not Comcast anymore. It hasn't been Comcast for a while. Xfinity or whatever, whoever it is that we're kind of bartering with. I'll pay my bill if you give me good service. 
But God does not love like this. He has never loved us like this. He is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, which means this, that he does not forgive us if we do something. See, that's a bad understanding of grace. He forgives us because it's in his nature to forgive us. He loves us because it's in his nature to love us, and he knows we need it. He knows we haven't earned it. He knows that there's, we're never going to keep up with the other end of the bargain on the other side of if. It's never going to happen. Instead, it is his love and it is his nature that pulls us into relationship and keeps us there because he simply loves us. You see, a contract says, I will do these things for you if you will do these things for me. I will scratch your back if you will scratch mine. But when you don't do what I expect you to do, then remember the contract. We would never say these words we certainly, we act like these, like this sometimes. But we remember the contract. I have the right to then withdraw my love from you because you have not held up your end of the bargain. And when I say I have the right to withdraw my love, what I'm really saying is I have the right to withdraw what you value in me. And you can, you can, you can draw your own conclusion as to what that might be. That might be presence. That might be anything else. I don't want to go too, too far into that because we've got kids around, but I'm going to withdraw myself. I'm going to withhold myself from you because you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. Friends, that is a danger and a trap. And instead, God has not loved us that way. I don't care how you read the Bible. That is not how God has loved us. Instead, he has covenant, covenanted with us and he's called us to do the same thing so that when we get married, we say in sickness and in, de- and in health, not in death, in sickness and in health, right? In, for in riches and in poorness. Why? He's not saying you have to always be rich or you have to always be poor. You have to always be healthy. No, it's no matter what I am vowing and covenanting to you to love you no matter what. See, a covenant says, I will do these things for you. And yes, I'm expecting love. I'm expecting submission. I'm expecting respect. But even when you don't do these things, I'm committing myself to love you, to be with you, to cherish you, no matter what. I'll still provide for you. I'll still be with you. Even when you give me nothing, I have covenanted myself to you. And we get bogged down in that trap, but when we start to say it, A versus B, man, it becomes so obvious as to what God is calling us to do in our marriages. So a question as we end danger four, what would it look like for you to serve your spouse primarily for their good and not to get something out of it? Proactively, perhaps take the kids for a walk so that your wife Uh, could have a nice afternoon here on Mother's Day, perhaps get them out of the house for dinner and just come back like like loaded up with with not Chick-fil-A, but with like Whataburger. Maybe that's the next best thing or whatever it may be. Whatever's nice for you uh, on Mother's Day. Like that would be a cherished moment that you would be able to serve your wife and on another day, serve your husband without getting anything back. Danger number five and our final danger with a delight, right? Before we finish up, and we, these, all these principles can be found in Ephesians 5, but certainly all throughout the scriptures. Danger five is that we would pursue second things over first things. But see, 
you might think to yourself, what does that mean? When we pursue anything besides one another's holiness, one another's satisfaction in Christ, growth in Christ, we're in danger. But the delight is this, that the pursuit of happiness over holiness will lead you without either. But the pursuit of holiness first will give you both. If you will pursue Jesus at the center of your marriage, you will find ultimate joy together. If you find yourselves drifting as a married couple, and whether you've been married for six months or six years or 16 or 60, if you find yourself drifting, the answer is yes, perhaps a date night, but the ultimate answer is to pursue Christ together and apart. And when two people which have drifted apart put Jesus at the center, then surely they will come together slowly until they find union at the cross, union in their mutual pursuit of holiness, of being formed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And when that happens, they will come together and do the things that the scriptures talk about, that they will become one, that there will be uh, ultimate soul oneness and intimacy. That's what it says in verse 31. There is a greater delight to pursue holiness over hobbies, over your kids' sports, which have kind of taken a break and have reminded you, wow, we actually have a little bit more time than we ever thought we did. We can not, we, this comes by, not by pursuing our hobbies or whatever our kids are into, um, but, uh, and whatever brings us happiness or making the other person happy. No, good things. These are all good things. They're second things. They're not, they're not fifth things. They're second things. But when we turn them into ultimate things, we are in danger. They will lead us into despair. We can pursue the greatest parenting skills ever. That's a second thing. We can even pursue getting on the same page for a budget. Second thing. We can even work out together and get healthy together. Man, that's a second thing. We could travel together and travel the world and have the greatest Instagram account ever. That's a fourth thing. Okay, you can enjoy all that time. You can have and share all those values, but if you have not put your holiness as a family at the center of what you are and as your family, you are not pursuing the marriage that God wants you to pursue. How do I know? Because it says it, that we as men, we as husbands are to, well, how are we supposed to love our wives? In verse 25, I'll read it. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 26, that he might sanctify her. That's create a holiness in her. How would he do that? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That would be holiness without spot holiness or wrinkle again or any such things that she might be holy and without blemish. This is how Jesus has loved us. And he's saying, husbands do the same thing at home. Love this kind of way. Pursue this first thing by washing your family in God's word. You don't know what that means? It means, it means leading out in family devotional time. It means not delegating that to your wife day in and day out. It means repenting to your children, right? Because God calls us to a life 
of repentance, that when we do something wrong with them, I mean, just today, I, I'm, I'm looking for a remote and I'm looking for this code to my Apple TV upstairs and I'm going, all right, which one of you changed the code? How did you change the code? One of your friends changed the code. And Ellie's just looking at me like, I don't even know how to even do any of that. Well, who changed the code? This guy. I did. And so I had to repent to my daughter and say, I, you know, I am so sorry, Ellie. I got all frustrated and I was all short with you. It's my bad. I didn't remember. Man, we can wash our family, wash our wives with a life that represents God's word in these simple ways, right? Without wrinkle, without stain, without spot, without blemish. How can we do this? We wash with the word. We lead our wives in the delight of God and the truth of God's word. Will you call her, will you call your wife to repentance and faith would be the greatest gift you could give. And wives, wives, will you submit to such leadership? Will you submit to the, to the husband that God's given you when he leads you into the foreign but, but better waters of spiritual formation of holiness? Because here's what this is going to happen. If, you're, if your husband's starting to, to, to start to do this well, or maybe just real awkwardly at first, he's going to start calling you out and inviting you into holiness. And you're going to think to yourself, not like that. That tone was not good enough. That, that was not patient enough. Don't you know? I've been working for this and this and this. Don't go there. Those are, those are, my, those are my, my habits. That's, my, that's my, my, my secret stash over there. And he's going, no, no, secret stash has got to get submitted to Jesus too. My tone, I'll work on my tone. But secret stash has got to get submitted to Jesus too. See, that gets real inconvenient for a wife and a husband. But God has not called us to convenience. No, God has called us to a life that simply follows him in all of life. Will we do these things? Will we purpose ourselves to delight in Jesus as husband and as wife, much less as dad and as mom? So if you're saying to yourself, man, this sounds impossible. This sounds like too much to remember, too, too much, too many things to think about. All right, we'll just go back and read Ephesians 5. Start with 21, or better yet, start with 1 and read to the end of the chapter. And, and, and when you are done, I just wanna ask you this question, right? What can you teach your kids about God's love? What can you teach your kids about how the church, which we're all a part of, about how the church submits to Jesus with how you submit to your husband? See, what can you teach those around you? Um, this week, uh, a, a pastor and a church planter died. Um, we don't know all the details, but it doesn't look uh, very good in how he died and certainly um, was unexpected. And his wife came out on Facebook and, and said this about his, her husband. That the, the, the gist of it was this, that he taught me how God loves people. He showed me about how, how much God values me, how much his presence really matters in our life and how he loves sacrificially. See, in our marriage relationships, we are mirroring the gospel. We are mirroring how not only how God loves us, but how we submit to him. I wonder what we're teaching one another through our love and through our submission, through our parenting. How can we teach those around us? What will others see and, about God and his character as they're watching us? Would you pray with me? as we uh, end our time this morning, 
on a, on a wonderful Mother's Day. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you in these things. We want to honor you in our worship. We want to honor you in our marriages um, and how we love and lead, but also um, in how we submit. These are hard, hard words, hard truths to take in. But those that ultimately um, you've called us to. And the things that you've called us to, um, you've also supplied for us um, the ability to do them. They're not impossible. For the husband that hears this and thinks, man, this is all impossible. I don't even know how to read God's word for myself. This is not impossible. We can start somewhere. For the wife that has made excuses on the fact that like her husband's not around or um, man, he, he's not worthy of submission. And this is possible for that wife. Lord, I pray that you would bring humility. I pray that you would bring repentance in our hearts. And I pray that you would bring courage. The kind of courage that it takes to live this kind of way. This is radically different than the culture around us. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Um, would you help us lead and love well? Would you help us represent you well upon the earth? We started this day by remembering that we're made in your image. Would you help us live out that mission with one another? Before we ever get out to making disciples in the world, will you help us love uh, like you've loved us? In Christ's name, amen.